Welcome to Bonehead Weekly. This is Joe, just doing a quick intro. This is part two, Todd Farmer. And Todd Farmer is going to talk about morality in cinema, morality in pop culture. Where did we go wrong? I've got a cat down here who just won't shut up, but she's quiet for a second for me to do this quick intro. So welcome. There she goes. Welcome back. Part two, Todd Farmer, morality in cinema. Todd, we love having you as a guest. Please be quiet, pickles. Please let's talk a little bit more about morality there were two things that you wanted to talk about the one was southern accents and southern and how southerners are treated in entertainment and then the other one was morality in pop well in movies let's go through movies yeah what were you talking about when you were mentioning that what was it in your head it i mean i think this was more more the focus it was just me thinking of you know think the way that the way that the world and the way that media and storytelling has changed Mm-hmm. When we were, when we were younger, um, when it, when it, at least for me, when it comes to religion, religion tended to be um, Catholicism. That was mm-hmm. the religion that you mostly saw in. And I think if you go back and you look, if you go back and you look at the first century teachings out of, out of Jesus and, and the, the life of Jesus eventually came the Catholic church. It became yes. this thing. And from the Catholic church, hundreds if not thousands of religions spawned out of that you know the 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 mother of uh what is it in revelations the the the, the mother of horrors and the mother uh, i forget what it's called mm-hmm. but you know you have baptists and methodists and church of christ and you know every everything at lutherans and everything in between and you can go back and you can track how you know each one of these different religions came from this one religion and so it's interesting to go back and you look at all the movies that are so impactful when we were growing up. Uh, scary movies come to mind, Exorcist Solomon, because you know there's a Catholicism portion right. to that. Um, nowadays, that's a little different because you do have, like there was Red State, which I think was more Christianity. Yep. Uh, there's certainly a lot more cult religion than, than there ever was when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it's, you know, it's hey, even going back to uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, there is a there's a Southern Baptist religious feeling to that movie that, you know, you don't get that a lot anymore today. You don't get the morality seems to be a thing, or at least the question of morality, but you don't really have a religious uh, slant to any of that, unless you go into the faith-based stuff, which is a completely different world. And I do have a story to tell, but I'll tell it later. Tell it now. Don't you bad mouth Kirk Cameron, sir. (laughs) Tell it now, please. I, uh, did I ever tell you guys that I was that I was going to do a faith-based movie? No, never. So, what the hell are you know, keeping from us? I don't know if you guys know this, but my career has not always been great. <laughs> yeah, so, no, uh, I can't remember the time when I was going. Oh my god, it's so honest, and you're like, I can't believe you got the shit out of me. Keep going. So um, there was a point when uh, this guy had reached out to me, and this is a guy that I've known for probably 20 years. And he's one of those guys that would always reach out and say, I, he's, he's, uh, he's a car salesman. He just, he works <laughs> in Hollywood and he would reach out and he was like, I got this great idea. And so I would do a bunch of free work for him to hoping that something would become, you know, money and it never did. And so he reached out to me and he said, I have access to, and I, you know, being Southern, I will say his name wrong. Um, uh, Joel Austin, Austin. Austin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Joel Austin. Yeah. 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 Austin. So he said, I have access to he and his people, and they want to get into the faith-based uh, genre. And 
there had been a, a number of faith-based movies that had done very well. Yes. And uh, these are movies that you literally make for next to nothing. It's almost it's almost the Blumhouse model, uh-huh. but with with less morality. Right. Uh, meaning right. less morality in the movie making portion, not necessarily in the story. Of it. Yeah. There's lots of morality in the story because that's part of it. But as far as making the movies and paying your crew, it's not a lot of that going on. Um, they're, they're paid in heaven dollars. They are paid in a lot of Jesus money. But um, so um, they came to me and I met with, never met with Joel or anything to that point, but I, I met with um, uh, some people that worked for him. And I will say they were lovely. Um, they were one, they, they were wonderful to work with. They were very polite, very sweet. They were, they dressed and carried themselves as people who had been making a lot of money for a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And um, not that there's anything wrong with that in, no. in that religion. And I forget exactly what it is, but it's, it's a, the, the religion that he teaches is based on if you've, uh, Jesus wants you to be rich. It's uh, evangelical, to be right? Rich. Well, yeah. I think evangelical is a whole point of uh, there. So that's a hard definition, Chad. I, Todd, you jump in. You're right. You're right. But it's kind of the evangelical movement is more of, you know, as far as you have to be born again, uh, a lot of what we see today, as far as the very strict reading of the scriptures. And and I think there's more to it. And I don't think I'm there's not, there's, there doesn't seem to be any strictness to any of it. I mean, you can be right. I mean, what's interesting about it is, is certainly they were not. um, They didn't. Publicly, they didn't frown upon homosexuality, but they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't publicly embrace it, if that makes sense. Right. But at the same time, it wasn't like Baptists. It was non-denominational. It was, it was that sort mm-hmm. of that sort of belief system. And uh, anyway, the the approach to me was they came to me and said, we want to do a, a story about a rock and roll band uh, that makes a deal with the devil. But they just don't know it. It's one of those things where, you know, they're playing with a Ouija board and they, you know, all these things happen and then suddenly they find success and, and the Antichrist and, you know, all these different things. And so they've come to me about this. And, and then one of the people involved said, you know, maybe there's an exorcism and, you know, possession. And, and so I actually really liked the idea because I read uh, when I was uh, when I was in the Christian, I don't know if you guys have read uh, Peretti, uh, I forget his first name, but he wrote a bunch of. Uh, no a bunch of uh, sort of angel books. And it was books where good versus evil and, and there were angels and demons and, and it was very uh, Christian books, but, uh, but it was slanted and very scary and creepy. Mm-hmm. And so I liked it. And I liked that idea. Like I remember this imagery from one of the books where there's a guy sitting in a pew and there's a, literally a demon crouched down like uh, from the, the, the uh, prophecy movies where he's crouched down on the pew and he's whispering in this guy's ear nobody else can see him so it was that kind of thing and um so i I wrote uh so i came up with a with a pitch and i said that you know this you know is this what it is and they were like yeah we love this absolutely love it and uh and then um i just couldn't get them to paint they wouldn't give you know they was like you know well you know if we could just get a script then we could go out and we could get the financing but then they had already, you know, like I had said some, I'd asked them about the whole uh, Louisiana thing and that uh, they had uh, uh, not, uh, when, the, when the hurricane happened, uh-huh. they, didn't, they didn't open this gigantic church right. to help anyone. Yeah. And I'd ask about that and, and, you know, 
off the record, which we're ob obviously not uh, condoning right now, uh, was that you know it was they had made an internal mistake. They shouldn't. They should have thought better than to not open their doors. Yeah. But you know that's that was their off the record response to me, or at least one of the people involved had had said that to me. And um, and then I had also asked about you know is this you know is this one of those things where you pay for prayer? And they're like, oh no no no, we don't have to pay for prayer. We have fifty thousand. Uh, people come through the church every week. Um, we don't. We don't have to pay for prayer <laughs> mm -hmm. because they're. You know, you, you you if you look at that, if every person who comes in is given a dollar in the donation, or you know, when the when the basket comes mm -hmm. around, you know, they're making fifty grand a week. So, um, and most people are giving more than that if they're tithing ten percent, right? But uh, which is why Joel drives you know three hundred thousand dollar cars and lives in a you know much bigger place than my my shed. And um, she shed. My she, yeah, my she shed is, is nothing compared to his his little house. But um, but he doesn't so, have his own severed head. I mean, no, he doesn't. But he has enough money to own five million of them. Well, but uh, <laughs> the real ones. So anyway, they they convinced me to write the script, and so I wrote a script about these guys who, and we had this whole conversation because you know I and the script opens up. Uh, with you know one of the the lead singer the rock and roll guy wakes up with two girls in bed with him and they were like i mean and i was like there's no nudity but if you want to set up that these guys lived in that world that's one of the things that you know rock and roll guys do they sleep with multiple women at the same time they drink a lot of booze they take a lot of drugs and so all of that was was there in the beginning and then uh this guy ends up overdosing goes into the hospital and while he's there, he wakes up and he's basically, he's had a, he's seen God and he's decided, I don't want to sing the kind of songs I've always sang, I want to sing different songs. And so you, his, so his manager is basically the antichrist. Uh -huh. And so you have this whole back and forth and, and, and there's a possession. And, and so his girl, his, his girlfriend gets possessed and there has, they have to do this exorcism and all this horrible stuff's happening. So I send this thing to them. And they come back to me and they say, this is fantastic. Had us on the edge of our seat, but there is no way that we can take this to the church and present it. It is, this is so demonic. It is so, we just can't do it. And I was like, you guys came to a horror writer and you said, write a scary story and put in a possession and put in an exorcism. What did you expect I would do? And so at that point, I just got frustrated because I still hadn't been paid. And uh, so I walked away, but that was my faith-based thing. So you never got a dime out of them? No. This, this is one of those times when I would never, ever be able to be employed again because I just would have looked at them and listen, my writing partner, Baal, says that if he doesn't get paid. <laughs> and just start whispering to somebody invisible in the corner. Yeah. Actually, mean, go I'm telling ahead. them. I'm telling them. I don't know what you want me to do. I told them. It, it's... To some degree, it's one of those things. When I was in high school, I knew a guy named Jeff Reeves. He was a year older than me. And he was the guy who one day he went into the bathroom and he wrote 666 on his forehead. He was kind of a heavy set fellow, overweight, sweat a lot, didn't really have a lot of friends. I'm, and he I'm wrote familiar. 666. Keep going. And down the hall, he's saying the end is near, the end is near. He's got 666. Of course, you know, the idiot had wrote 666 in a mirror, so he wrote it backwards. And uh, I ended up befriending him because I was just fascinated by this guy. Part of me going down this road with him was because I was fascinated with 
do they know that they're charlatans? Do they know that they are the Pharisees? Or, or do they really believe what they're pitching? Do they really believe? And I think they really believe it. I think so, too. So it's almost scarier. It is. Which is? We, so, well, and I don't want to get into religion in my whole world because all three bone, you could, the, so there's a great Monty Python quote, uh, John Cleese says, is you couldn't get the Pythons to agree on what religion is, but we would all agree on what religion isn't. I would say that's probably true for the three boneheads. You could include me in that. Or four of us. Uh, that we could say, we none of us would come together on what religion or maybe spirituality is but we probably all three agree completely and now four on what it isn't right and you start writing a lot of checks it isn't but going back to your your script and everything else why is rock and roll always the problem like that's i always stop to think about that i mean blues for a while you got the bluesmen going to the crossroads Mm -hmm. but nobody i mean river dance outside of the dixie chicks i guess nobody ever gets mad at country musicians go and and i think about the example that comes to mind there was a uh, a uh, actually it's a, a a study done and publishes a book called um a rap on trial and it actually pointed out that if you listen to quote-unquote hardcore gangster rap and compare it to johnny cash johnny cash has killed more people done more drugs done more and and it begs this question and i think the same thing with rock and roll rock and roll gets this thing of uh you know it's the devil it's the devil's music or whatever and and i find that fascinating and and my question is did the devil have the best pr to get (laughs) to get rock and roll well first of all really quick Mike Judge, Chad knows this, did a great show for Cinemax called On the Tour Bus about crazy Western country, Western musicians and how most of the shit that Johnny Paycheck got into was worse than almost any hip hop artist of all time. I mean, it doesn't even come close. That being said, we've had a director on before who worked with him, Brian Trenchard Smith. He directed the Omega Code 2, right, for the church. Yeah. Correct. And he was talking about, he had an interesting experience with them that they were actually fine. And I say them, it's a different group, but it's a religious film. And he was talking about it was, they were fine to work with, but they ended up spending all the money on special effects and got taken for a a ride. Correct, James, Chad? Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, doing what I did, I was able to... Uh, I had access to a lot of the people who had done a lot of these uh, uh, movies. Uh, and I don't want to get into a bunch of names, but one one guy, I really liked him. Uh, he's South African and he was lovely and I he was smart. And he was the one who came to me and he said, don't make don't make a faith based movie. Don't write a faith faith based movie. He said, write the best rock and roll movie. But it's about this guy who decides to pull away from that life he said it doesn't have to be faith-based to make that decision a lot of artists you look at uh, alice cooper you look you know you can look mm-hmm. at a lot of guys who pulled away from the more hardcore life style and uh and i was like okay that's that's you know that's an interesting way of looking at it and uh so there were a, there was 
good people there, but it seems like it, it's interesting because it's one of those things where you think that, oh, well, this will be a world where they will treat the writer and the crew with respect because they're coming from a moral background. And that is not the case. The guys at the top still make all the money and everybody else getting paid nothing. And, you know, that was disheartening to see that because if you look at a list of faith-based films and you look at the money that, that they cost, people are going to see those films in the same way that, you know, um, same way that Trump supporters would spend money on merchandising, the same way that Biden mm -hmm. supporters would spend you know, money on merchandising. Anyone who is um, you know, a, a follower of a certain sports team, they're going to buy sports jerseys and sports shirts. And so it's that sort of thing. And it's very, like I, had a, I mentioned to a, uh, a Lyft or Uber driver that I was doing this sort of movie, and he was like, we only watch faith-based movies. So, you, you know, if I, if I know it's coming out, this is what we'll see. We don't watch any other movies. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. He said, and our whole church does. It. And at, and I forget what Lakewood, I think, is uh, Joel's church. They show movies at Lakewood. Like, they show Door the Explorer there. So to a studio, you know, you've got a congregation of 50,000 people. That's, that's a big, that's a big, that's a big night. And so um, studios make deals with these guys so that they play movies. And it's not a bad gig. That's fascinating. And I'm assuming, I mean, so you see all these like Kirk Cameron's left behind part 15. A lot of these movies already have the built-in audience. They don't have yeah. to spend any of the promotion. They're not spending no. any of the advertising that, that no. Warner Brothers is spending on X, Y, and Z, right? No. So you're cutting P&A completely out. Yeah. There's no, you don't have that cost at all. It's fascinating. I never thought of it that way. Why didn't so, we start you know, our own religion? Um, uh, Scientology I, dude did. I, was I saying, know. I, L. Ron Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard. Dianetics. Yeah. Uh, well, I, and and the the stories about him starting it and the conversations other science fiction authors had with him are fascinating in and of themselves because he was worried about not having money in his old age and he solved the problem um but I, I, it is it's, it's fascinating to me to just think about you know what and and the other side about what parts of religion makes make it into film uh and and things like that i was saying the other day um Wayne Barlow wrote the book God's Demon, and, and I don't know if it'll ever be made into a film, but one of the things that I found fascinating about that novel is that he goes back and he names checks all these, all these other really devils and demons that are mentioned in the Bible that never get any of the airtime, like the, the uh, Abaddon of the pit and all these other ones. And, and it made me think about, it. I wonder if Abaddon's sitting somewhere going, I got to get a better agent. I'm not getting any of the, I'm not getting, I'm not getting the good press. Lucifer gets all the press and I'm, I'm, I'm working here. I got the pit. Well, religion and morality are two separate things. So I'm curious, Todd, what is a good example of a good moral film to you with a good moral center with a lesson to be taught? Shrek. I mean, any, you know, Shrek's okay. a movie about, you know, not judging someone by, you know, how they look. Yeah. Um, that's, to me, those sort of movies have more impact. Uh, those sort of movies can have impact to someone who is religious and someone who's an atheist. 
mm-hmm. agnostic. I mean, those kind of because that theme, not being judged for what you look like. I mean, we all, you know, I grew up in the South. I'm bald now. Um, I started losing. I started losing my hair when I was young-ish. Um, I was judged for that. I, you know, when I was in high school, I had a bigger dick than everybody else, and that was was problematic. <laughs> you had to throw that <laughs> so shit out there. A lot of times, had you get to judged. throw it out there. Well, look, it was been difficult for me. Is it? Because <laughs> let me tell you, buddy, this big stomach, nothing grows in the shade. <laughs> Once again, what what is the film Student Bodies, where the uh, where the attractive woman takes the handicapped parking spot? And they look at her and she goes, sometimes being beautiful can be its own handicap. She walks off. <laughs> yeah, I know. Probably that true. So, that, okay, Shrek, Chad, what's a movie that's really moral to you? Has a good moral message. Come back to me. James? Uh, a good moral message? Oh, man, that's... that's. Um... Hold on, here's a, here's a, here's a kiss-ass thing. You guys... You guys ever see see that uh, that My Bloody Valentine 3D? <laughs> There's a lot of morality there. You shouldn't go fuck around with a guy with a pickaxe. You know, honestly, I don't know. I've got nothing. I was just trying to. I was just trying to make a joke. You could have gone. I, don't play in caves. We'll come back to that because I would totally argue that 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 both that and drive angry are moral. Well, you come say, back actually, to it in a second. I was about to say honestly, what I was thinking about is films that to me have because a big part of morality to me is taking care of people. And and so I would I would agree. Drive angry. I was actually thinking like Adam's family, all of that stuff. Those are people that watch out for other people. I mean, sometimes in unique ways. But this idea of of being a protector of people who need protected is is a form of morality. Now, knowing when to quit being protective and let people make their own choices is also part of the challenge there. But I, I think about those movies, and I also automatically thought of you know. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, for the line, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. So there you go. Or the one. What's that? Yeah. What's what, Todd? No, you, you said it. That's good. Oh, yeah, or the one. Well, you know, you know, one that I think gets a lot of shit, it doesn't as much now because it's just a cultural institution, but The Simpsons. Homer's always trying to keep the family together. Marge is always trying to keep the family together. Mm-hmm. What what was that? I don't know. James already so so why would Drive Angry be a the perfect moral film? I mean, I think it goes it goes back to it starts with Jason X. I don't know why this is. I can't couldn't even begin to tell you why I got on this, but I and this is a guy who grew up with a giant satellite dish in the yard and, and ran across porn one and a and a big penis. You say uh, yeah. You and, you uh, say. You because it's so close to that satellite. <laughs> I'll send you the pic. I have to send both of them so you can get it all in there. I but, did send uh, you a dick pic the other day, remember? You, you sent me two dick pics. I had sent you two dick pics. <laughs> We're not uh, going to explain that. We're just going to leave no. it alone for people it was, here later. For anybody who's getting all turned on, it was flaccid. So it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, well, wasn't Richard Nixon can't. could be flaccid from time to time. But from time going. to time. <laughs> but uh, when I was. When I had the opportunity to write Jason X, having grown up watching horror, what I despised, and I don't know why, but what I despised was the gratuitous nudity. I didn't like the shower scene. I didn't like the, you know, suddenly she comes in, she takes her shirt off and she takes a shower and then she gets out and the movie continues. I I don't know why I didn't like it. It, I felt embarrassed by it. I felt embarrassed for her. 
I, I love tits. I love ass. I love all the, the stuff that's on the other side. I, I, I always have, but it just felt, um, it felt rapey to me. It felt wrong. And so I didn't write it into Jason X. And, um, and so it was, and I know that it was never brought up to me. It was never like, oh, well, there's no nudity in here. I mean, I had sort of an S&M scene. I had all this stuff, but nobody was naked. Sex brings Jason back to life. But the two kids who are having sex, they're mostly clothed. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see a navel, you, but you don't see, you don't see any nudity. And so that was on purpose. I know that, that in the 11th hour, the, the powers that be went to a couple of the actresses and tried to get them to do nudity. And they had signed on saying, I'm not going to do nudity. And so they were like, no, I'm not going to do nudity. And so then uh, the powers that be came to me later and said, you know, for the third act, you have to write it in. And so I knew if I didn't write it in, someone else would. So I wrote in a scene that's basically making, making fun of premarital sex and smoking pot. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, and I, and that's how that got in there. And then later, you know, I knew this was not a, a, a battle I was ever going to win. And uh, I mean, right now I'm wearing this, but mm -hmm. it's a shirt for breast cancer. It's not, you know, right. it's not about uh, you know, Lady Frankenstein being naked, but um, in Drive Angry, I was like, well, look, you know, if I'm going to write this stuff, I, you know, I have to be willing to put my own ass on the line, which is why my ass is in the mood. Because if, you know, if I'm going to expect Betsy to take the clothes off, then I'm going to take mine off too. And thank God for that, sir. I know. Thank you. He's not talking about Betsy either. No. Okay. You said all that. Two things. One of them is, is that in defense, if you talk to fans of Jason 10, one of their favorite scenes is what? Sleeping bag scene. Yeah. The sleeping bag scene. Well, I guess, I guess so. I you is don't it, have people saying that to you. I I think so, but I don't know that it's necessarily because of the four titties. No, no it has nothing to do with those. It's because it has nothing to do with that. Yeah, I think it has to do with the you know the the pointing a finger at. Yeah, you know, no, absolutely, you're absolutely right. Ride. But you did follow up with one of the most great. I mean, how top that lady is naked in that in 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 my bloody valentine for what five ten minutes well a couple let's talk about that a couple of things yes and i'm not uh, picking on you no 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 and and look i look call me if, if i'm coming across hypocritical you call call me on oh, i don't um, think hypocritical i just like hanging out with my friend keep going uh the scene was written to be a complete distraction from what was coming okay uh that has to do with the little person that has to do with the dog it has to do with this crazy long sex scene all of that was to distract the viewer and and sort of keep the viewer a little off balance so that when frank opens that door you don't know that pickaxe is coming okay because that's that was the whole reason for all of that it was all a big distraction it was also um at least from the uh point of view of if you go back and you look at the opening of the movie there's these four characters and then here's betsy who's one of those four characters years later and her life has not turned out well mm -hmm. she's with a guy who turns out he's filming them while they're having sex i mean everything about it is not going well and she's the first kill in the movie spoilers but um betsy and i got together and decided that we would make 
that we, we choreographed the sex scene so that it would be uncomfortable. It's not sexy. It is not a sexy scene. I'm on her hair. She's like, you're in the wrong hole. I mean, everything about it is not sexy. I, I, I prematurely orgasm. I mean, everything is not going well for her in this scene or nor for me, although, you know, I get a pickaxe in the head. Right. But the idea, and the idea was, there's, I guess it's twofold. One is it wasn't to glamorize the sex scene. And the other was that if you're a dick to women, you die. <laughs> and that's sort of a theme in both of those movies, even Drive Angry. So, Well, what about the long scene in Drive Angry where they're having sex in the shootout in the bedroom? She's topless. He's not. Well, I mean, that was that was Nick. He was he was written. He was written that way. You know, you when you have and I mean, I think people would argue Nick is still an A-list actor. Uh, he's had you know his his peaks and valleys, but he does have an Oscar on his shelf. Yeah, he's a good he's a good actor. Um, and Pig no, he is just a very... came, and Pig just came out this year, so Pig Pig is is remarkable. I haven't I mean, seen it yet. I highly suggest it. It is it is a remarkable film. It is not what you expect. Have okay. you have any of you seen it? I haven't seen it. I'm, I'm dying to see it. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's, it's yeah. so okay. uh, we won't. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Nick, uh, like the day before we shot, a couple of days before we shot, Nick said, I'm not going to take my clothes off. And it wasn't that, I mean, I think Nick's done nudity before. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. you know, for a guy, he's, he's, he's little older than me, I think like a year or two, but he's, you know, he looks great. So it's not like he was embarrassed to take his clothes off. He works out every day. But mm-hmm. uh, he felt like from a character standpoint, the guy, if he knows they're coming, he's not going to put himself in a position to, be vulnerable so it was so written that nick would be new nude yeah i mean it was never even a question that he wouldn't be. so when okay. he said i'm not going to take my clothes off it was an, it was an issue because it, for us basically it was the issue because we thought it would look weird you know why aren't you taking your clothes off we have to deal with it the audience is going to wonder why why aren't you taking your clothes off and so she says why aren't you taking your clothes off and he's like well you know i never just wrote before gunfight which i think was his line mm-hmm. and um no, it completely works it, in the movie. It works. I just wanted, yeah. But, you know, it was never, it wasn't written that way. It was written so that they would be, like, if you look at the scene before that, you have Amber Heard, who is uh, getting her toenails painted by a completely naked busboy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that reverses that whole cliche, which is normally she would be the naked one and he would be standing there fully, fully clothed. Yeah. And so that was all on purpose to, you know, give back is the right term but it was certainly it was for whatever reason this has always been a a thing for me and i mean someone i remember someone once asked you know was there someone abused in your family and i was like no not that i know of it's just something that always bugged me when i saw it it didn't make any i was always embarrassed for the actress Mm -hmm. i don't mind if you get naked if there's a reason there's a reason for betsy and i to get naked in driving i mean in bloody valentine there's a reason for us for for amber to come back and find me naked in bed cheating on her mm-hmm. but you know to have the shower scene where you just take your top off that i don't care never have understood as i say it's it's interesting because as 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 a star trek geek one of the things that blew up again on twitter was they did an episode of of lower decks the animated series where it goes back to them getting exposed to the thing that makes them lose inhibition, which was done in the original series. It's done in the next generation. But they do a scene where there's two nude male characters and they blur everything out. And 
quite frankly, a lot of people got upset going, is this what Star Trek has become? And a bunch of people came back and went, this is, there's been more nude scenes and there's an entire episode of Enterprise where Hoshi's shirt mysteriously just disappears and she has to sit there like this for three minutes on film. And I was like, so what, so it's really interesting how, um, I guess some audience members have very selective memories <laughs> over what, uh, whereas you seem to have a pretty consistent response. It seems like sometimes uh, fan bases have very selective memories on what they get concerned about. I never understood the reason for having the continued nudity when you had Cinemax and you could turn on Cinemax at night and see, see all of that. I mean, it seemed, I understood it when it was in the 70s Corman. and 80s. Yeah. 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 I understand that because, you know, when you were growing up, that was your only access to, you know, the, the, what, was, what was not fair about it is it was just the female body. It wasn't, you know, why didn't we get some, some ass and dick from the dudes? Are we they not didn't like me as well? Because they didn't like me. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up, Todd. They didn't I'm saying, like actually, me. You were talking about that, and automatically my mind went to Logan's run. That probably says more about yeah. me than it should. Well, I mean, she's she's a beautiful young lady in that movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious, and what scene have you written that got cut that bothered you the most? I know you had, you know, Jason 10 didn't come out the way you wanted it to, the way you envisioned it, because it was going to be Alien Jason. That's, well, that was more tone. It wasn't about something getting cut. It was more tone. Tonally, when I was younger, I wanted Jason X to be taken more seriously, which is silly. It's the 10th movie in a franchise. Who, who the hell is going to take it seriously or even want to take it seriously other than the young, naive screenwriter? Yeah. But, you know, I wanted it to. Be, I loved Alien. I loved Aliens. I wanted it to be taken that seriously because I thought if you did that, it could be scary. Mm-hmm. And, and we didn't do that at all. Um, I don't think Bloody Valentine really didn't have didn't have anything cut out of it really. Um, there were cut. There was one scene that was written uh, when we started doing the 3D. We went over budget, not over budget. The budget got bigger, mm-hmm. and when the budget got bigger, the original screenwriter had a like he got paid nothing in the beginning. But when it came time to the budget kept getting bigger and bigger. And so he ended up getting a, a huge bonus. And so we had to write a scene out of the movie because we didn't have the money to film that scene anymore because we had to pay him an additional 300,000. Yeah. And so I think I've told you guys, I only got 40 grand for, to write that movie because we were, we were, we were in the middle of a strike and they uh-huh. just wouldn't, you know, all they would do was give me the scale of you know, nothing else. And so, you know, I'm writing, I'm rewriting the screenplay to take the scene out so that we can pay the original writer three hundred grand or two hundred grand or whatever it was. Felt a little unfair since I was doing that for free. Screenwriters but, uh, Guild, bud. Some I mean, of it was all it was all legit. I mean, it was all it was all in, in the fair. But no, I can't remember anything. I can't remember anything. I've had a lot of stuff that didn't get made. I wish I got made, but I don't think I've ever lost any scenes. That... Well, I'm trying to remember. Did we talk? I, we talked about a lot of stuff that didn't get made, but I, I don't know that I particularly asked you the one that kept you up. The one that didn't get me made that kept me up? Yeah, that kind of, you know, damn, I have a hard time letting that go. 
because you have to have thick skin. We've talked about the thick skin. We talked about the screenwriting trade when, on our first episode. We talked about a lot of the highs and lows that you went through, but I don't remember asking you specifically, and gentlemen, please correct me, but I don't remember asking you, is there the one that, you know, just, oh shit, I just can't get past it. I mean, Halloween 3D was always, that one, you know, because that was, that was, Halloween was one of those movies that I grew up that was a part of me and so to have made a halloween movie would have been nice and so then to then see you know all these different halloween movies coming out you know you certainly would have liked to have been into that in that world um same thing with you know hellraiser you know now they're hellraisers you know getting a reboot yeah you know, we went we went down that road we went down that road with fickner and uh didn't have i didn't know so, fickner I mean, was going to be in it yeah it was going to be uh yeah, Fickner was the lead. He was uh, in the original concept. It was Fickner and his wife, and Fickner was a uh, was a bomb. Uh, uh, he was the guy who takes bombs apart. Um, yeah, one of those guys. And uh, uh, there's an explosion, and people get killed, and, and this sort of opens the world of the underworld to him. And so he he starts chasing this rabbit down the hole okay and uh then the weinsteins came back and said they wanted it to be a little younger so instead of being about a husband and wife they wanted it to be about a husband, this guy and his daughter so we rewrote it again now this was just outline mm -hmm. and we got paid a fortune for just the outlines um and then uh and that's because in halloween 3d they tried not to pay us so when we ended up doing hellraiser we front loaded it you told so me about that paid. yeah yeah and so then and then there was a third version because final destination had come out and it was just it was fickner and a bunch of teenagers mm -hmm. and so um and you know i think you know it didn't it it wasn't a remake of clive's movie it was a clive's movie existed over here and our movie took place over here it yeah was a reboot. that's kind of uh, what i like about the fetty alvarez evil dead that i compliment all the time that i, I agree I, yeah I love it because everybody yeah, goes, yeah. it's, it's clearly not a remake. Fetty even said yeah. if it had been made in the eighties, they used to call them sequels. I mean, yeah. she's, she, Mina is sitting on the Delta 88 at the opening of the movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is clearly takes place in this world. It's just yeah. over here. Yeah. And that's, what's so smart about it. And I like that. Yeah, I do too. I do too. So how I, what was your, can you talk about the story for Halloween three? You want to give a brief one? Oh, yeah. yeah. It was, uh, we started, uh, do you remember the end of Rob's second movie? Yep. Yep. It started, it started uh, probably 10 minutes before that movie ends. And you have to, the, the problem with Halloween 3D is that we, we came up with a concept and we pitched it to them. Maybe four to six months later, Bob called and said, uh, Rob is fucking me. You got to come in and help me with this. I mean, Rob was just doing Rob's thing, and but you know, the Weinstein's respond the way the Weinstein's respond, mm -hmm. which is why we did three different Hellraisers. But uh, so we came in and we basically started. I think in Rob's movie, J uh, Jason Michael kills um, uh, Clockwork Orange. Yeah, he and, kills uh, Loomis. Yeah, yeah kills Loomis. Yeah. And in our version, we open right before that happens. And Michael is uh, is stabbing Lubus, and then uh, she's watching, and then sort of pull back to reveal she's actually stabbing Lubus, and Michael's standing over her watching, 
And then she sort of wakes up from it, realizing she's done this. And then uh -huh. Michael walks over and puts the, puts the mask on her. And she stumbles outside and there's cops everywhere. And she pulls the mask off. And when she does, we go into 3D. And so the next 20 minutes is the ending of our movie, had we done, had we been a part of Rob Zombie. Mm -hmm. So it was this big, big thing that ends with Tyler Maine, you know, in an ambulance that's on, he's on fire and the mask is melting to his face and he goes off a cliff over a dam. Mm -hmm. And then uh, she's a year later, she's in an asylum and we're in a small town and, uh, and there's a, there's one of those pop-up Halloween stores and there's some kid, you know, and he's like yelling to his manager saying, Hey, we got this one, you know, they're pulling all these boxes, pulling all the shit up out of the boxes to put on the shelves. And he's like, we've only got this one mask and it's the James T. Kirk mask because Gary Tunnicliffe had actually found the old mold. Oh the yeah. Movie. And so, and the guy's like, just put it on the shelf, somebody will buy it. And so, you know, he turns and looks and then, you know, Michael's standing right there and kills him and he takes the mask and puts it on. And so from that point forward, Rob Zombie's Michael is gone and we're back to John Carpenter's Michael. So he's more of a shape and he's, you know, stealthy and sort of a dick. And, so you're uh, able to kind of just kind of, well, it's not reboot exactly, but in, in a way it is, you had to get past that. So that's what a lot of people complained about with starting from Halloween tune on is that we had, we were stuck with this whole, we've got, he's Michael Myers, she's Michael Myers sister. And a lot of people complain and that led into four five and six. And, you know, you're kind of <laughs> shackled with that. Whereas the new Halloween is like, fuck it. Nothing existed after Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't do that. I mean, we just, we just simply, when he comes back, he's different. Yeah. He's changed. He's not the same. He's, he's the, he's the Michael from Carpenter's original movies. He's not, although he's still in Tyler Mann's body, gigantic body. It's just the problem with Tyler Mann is Tyler Mann is a T-Rex. And so that's a different movie. I mean, if, if you're in your house and Tyler wants to come into your house, he's coming in your house. No, it doesn't I've, matter what you do. I've, I've, uh, I've run panels for him at Scarefest more than once and he towers over me and i'm six yeah. one and you guys are six two six three right Jeff? yeah yeah he is uh he's, he's he small is, yeah i would yeah. not want to just you know if, if if i had to pick out of a lineup people that i would like to fight he would not be in my top five that i'd want to fight we're running almost in two hours i suppose we should probably should start wrapping it up what do we want to talk about before we end this Todd, what do you want to talk about before you go? All right. Sorry, James, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you talked about some of the stuff that got away. If, if you had an opportunity to pitch a movie for, for maybe an ongoing franchise that you've never worked on or never had an opportunity even to pitch for, what would be something you would like to pitch? What would be a, a, an existing, like you said, something that may be on its fourth or fifth movie? Uh, what would you like to pitch that might be a franchise going forward? Um, that is an excellent question. I'm actually working. That is a franchise I've never worked on, and uh, so it'll be interesting because it has the cap the capability possibility to have several different movies. Um, so we'll see what happens. But as far as what I wanted to work on, you mean something that hasn't been done? yeah just that's, anything that yeah something that anything know, that's something you haven't done you know something i mean you talked about you loving halloween and that 
but that I think that's true for a lot of people in the business that Halloween tends to be one of their favorite horror films. Well, but, I mean, it's interesting just looking behind you. Uh, Dark Man would be something. I, I think they're rebooting Dark Man, right? Didn't I hear that? They talk about it all the time. Dark Man's one of those special little things that probably should have never existed and wouldn't have existed probably without Batman. The failure of him trying, of Sam Raimi yeah. trying to make, uh, was it the Shadow? Shadow. The Shadow. He couldn't get the rights, yeah. you know, and it just happened. Um, I don't, I don't yeah. know that Dark Man gets greenlit today. Probably not. Well, I don't know. Maybe on Netflix, it'd be a limited series. It would not be a movie from Universal. Like there, there is a R-rated movie. There's two things I'm working on right now. One is a a remake, loosely based remake of of a a slasher. Uh Uh, The other is a TV version of a scary movie, and. both of them like it's like Patrick and I are, are also working on something that was written a long time ago and it will be an original movie. It'll be a movie that, you know, it's based on something we actually came up with and, uh, and that will probably not you, be very good. Like not, they won't be very good. It probably won't be seen. It won't be very given good. The, are you given, are you given bonehead the exclusive on what the new I'm always giving you the exclusive. We've already talked about this. Um, you will off the record when we talk later, but I do appreciate <laughs> it. I, we love our conversations after this is over and in, in our defense, we haven't linked the damn thing. So no, that's true. I don't even remember what I've told you, but don't tell me right now. Cause I see the recording. Right <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Uh, I can't believe you're going to be making the next James Bond movie and you already know who the cast is. Truly survive on word (laughs) of mouth and goodwill. That would be fun, wouldn't it? What, the next James Bond film? Honestly, that's one of the things that, because I was like, screw Will, he's an asshole. I was was talking about, um, I'm introducing my son to James Bond over time. And I started him with Connery and then we went back and actually we did Casino Royale and I did a couple of Connery films. But I'm having a hard time because, and I'm blanking on which movie it is, but the, the movie that introduces the voodoo character that dies and comes back, dies and comes back. And, and uh, you know, uh, he said, well, is he in any of the later movies? And I'm like, you would think he would be, but no, no, he never, he, he ends the movie on the back of the train as the train's pulling away and you see him just sitting there and then you never see him again. That's, that's the end of, and I was like, allegedly it's- they had plans to do something with him, but never did. Well, it's it's considered black exploitation now, I think, but it's yeah. one of my favorite. It's absolutely one of my favorite movies because it's unnervingly creepy. Yeah, like it's like, the best. It's the best Roger Moore one. It's certainly the best Roger Moore, without a doubt. And uh, everyone and what's his name just passed away. Um, um, John Cato. Cato. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, Fat Cato. Yeah, he passed away what, like last year, right? Uh huh. And uh, I mean, he was fantastic. Uh, he's one of my favorite Bond villains because you, he gets to play two different parts. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how amazing is that? Uh, everything about it was just an unnerving scare. And, Even that opening, everything about it. And yeah. it has a redneck Southern sheriff. Oh, shit, I forgot all about that. And he's in two movies. Yes, he, he comes back after that. Comes back. He's they bring him he's... back, but they didn't bring back. Is that also the first appearance of Jaws? Is that the first appearance of Jaws? Um. Moonraker is the second. I know that. So yeah, he's definitely in Moonraker. And I, oh, I should know this. Where does he? 
Yeah, is it Moonraker where he bites the cable? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's Moonraker. Moonraker. Yeah. Because yeah. I have those collector cards because I'm a mature adult. That's <laughs> what's like, ooh, ooh, I need those. Those that'll that'll impress my wife. But we're but that movie is frowned upon because is it because the portrayal of black people as bad guys? Well, I don't never quite it's, understood what the it's also it's very voodoo. I mean it's yeah, it's it's really weird, and it's one of the things like I have said that you know, as I watch them all with my son, it's one of those things now where I'm like, you watch some of the sixty ones, and I, watching Doctor No, I was like, you know, that's not Bond when he's actually that suave. He drops his gun, he messes yeah. up, he, and then it's it's fun to watch my son have whiplash because you know, near the end of the Connery era, he makes no mistakes. And then we jump back to Daniel Craig and he's mad all the time. And I was like, yeah, it, you, you had a bond for every age. But going back to that, yeah, it's I, that one stuck out to my mind as a kid because I was when I was young, I was horror movies scared me to death. And that was that was like the, the peak of bond horror in some ways, because you did have all the voodoo you did have. And it was bond, though, so I could handle that for some reason. But, yeah, I mean, I, it's funny because I don't hear too many people. You know, I think Bond gets a lot of um, the older Bond films get also obviously some smack for their treatment of women. Uh, yeah. And, and you, know, you know, Connery himself has come out to say it's okay to smack a woman around every now and then. He says well, it was taken out of context. Of course, he doesn't say anything now he's dead. Well, I was going to say the flip side of that is, I mean, Chris Rock even had in his stand-up years ago, he was like, I would never ever hit a woman, but I'd shake one. And I always thought I was like, that's going to come back to haunt him. At some, I mean, at some point, that's not. <laughs> and so, you know. But again, I, it's all. Did you give us an answer, Todd? Is there one out there that you'd like to work? It doesn't have to be horror. Would it be Bond? Would that be the one? No, it wouldn't be Bond. It would be. I mean, I like Bond. I like um, Bond too, but I don't know that it'd be Bond for me either. Can I tell you Bond. one that I would like to do? Yes, tell me. I would. I've always thought that I would either, but they've already fucked it up, but either a prequel sequel to the John Carpenter's The Thing. I could, mm -hmm. I could have done either and had the, and had the whole idea of the opening, which would have been kind of a prequel sequel together in my head mm -hmm. since I was a, a high schooler of how I would have opened it up. So you didn't like, you didn't dislike the prequel. Patrick and I saw Patrick and I were, uh, we were at Morgan Creek, and they're the ones who did the prequel. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were going to do a reboot of The Exorcist. Yeah, uh, we were going to get Max von Sydow to come in and play his own age. <laughs> it would have been screen accurate. That's true. I know because he was alive at the time. I, this has been it's been six, seven, eight years ago. Um, really? We had a, I, that, it was that recently. Well, it was when it was right before the thing came out. The reboot of the thing came out, uh -huh. and they. Uh, we went up to their office. We went into the conference room. They set up a, a tiny little television at the end of the conference room table. And we watched the uh, unfinished effects version of the thing. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. Just sitting at a conference table watching this and being such a huge fan of the original, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, I love this. I love what they're doing. I love the way they started. I love all of this stuff. And um, uh like I liked the idea that they didn't do the blood, the the, uh -huh. the fire and the blood thing because because that's been done. It's been and I done. thought, I, you know, based on what now we didn't see any effects really 
So we didn't see the CGI effects and, and that sort of thing. We just, it was placeholder, but from where I was sitting. And so I came back out and went, you know, and said on Twitter that I, you know, I didn't. so then later the movie came out and I didn't see it because I'd already seen it uh-huh. and, and people were just destroying it. And I, I came out to say, what are you talking about? I loved it. And I was just, I got destroyed. And so, and I think it was, be- mostly I think it was because the CG was not good, but yes, that's, that's a movie that I, that, uh, uh, um, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, um, there's a missed opportunity. I agree with you. I mean, that, and it's funny, you know, Army of Darkness is behind you. I mean, I love, you know, the first two movies, but Army of Darkness takes horror into a fantasy world. And how could I not love that? I mean, I, fantasy was my thing. Dungeons well, and Dragons, that's where I started. It takes it into fantasy with the Three Stooges. Yeah, I, I mean it, it is it is it is pure Sam Raimi. There's never yeah. been anyone quite like it. Yeah, I, I actually introduced uh, my daughter to. I, I showed her Evil Dead two. I didn't show her Evil Dead one. That tree scene, I didn't want to have to explain. Uh, but anyway, well, there's technically a tree scene in Evil Dead two. It just doesn't yeah. do the same. It's very different though. It's very different. It's very anyway, different. but I showed her Evil Dead two, and then and I said, "You need to watch Army of Darkness now." And she said, ah, "I don't want because Evil Dead." Two got to her a little bit. Um, Four. Twelve. Twelve. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm probably, I, depending on who you are, and for some people how religious you are, I'm either a good father or a terrible father. Yeah, of course. But, uh, but, um, but no, she, uh, because she's doing, she does plays and stuff, and, and so, uh, I, and she wanted to watch some Halloween movies, and I was like, well, I don't want to show The Exorcist because I can't pay those therapy bills. Um so we did Army of Darkness. So and she goes, "This is way different than Evil, even Evil Dead yeah. Two, Dad." And I said, "Yeah, absolutely. It's it's comedy. It's it's a different world." Yeah, and it, it I love works it. that well. Yeah, and it's yeah. I mean, and obviously, I love I love both those films, but they're very yeah. different films, and they're fun to play around with. This reminds yeah. me that I really need to change the posters out every once in a while because there's a whole wall here, all the way down here, all the way around that I that there's just only ever see these ones. I probably should for the. Not that anybody well, cares or is paying that much attention. Actually, I mean, what you my, need to do is rotate them randomly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Todd, what my, were you going to say? I was going to say, my, my favorite movies are um, not easily uh, defined. Big Trouble in Little China is a hard movie to define. Is it horror? Is it comedy? It's all those things. Uh, Army of Darkness, same thing. Um, you know, any of those movies that uh, you could say that about Blade Runner. You can say it about, uh, you know, and, and truth be told, all of those movies failed. The thing failed because mm-hmm. is it a sci-fi movie? Is it a horror movie? It's hard to know. Came out within and, two um, weeks of E.T. Yeah. And so that's, that said, you know, I turned around and I made Drive Angry. Drive Angry, is it horror? Is it, you know, is it cult? Is it, you know, what is it? What is it? And, uh, and it failed. So... It's sad that my favorite movies are movies that break the rules and break the genre and just go out there and tell a weird story. Those are my favorite movies, and those don't tend to do well. They tend to, to stand the test of time because obviously, you know, um, Big Trouble in Little China, I think, is getting remade, right? 
I mean, well, that they, was well Dwayne the Rock. Did, well, yeah, the Rock was yeah, on was a remake a few years ago. Yeah, the Rock's been tied to it several for several years. Yeah, but they they bring out a Carpenter film all the time. And by the way, the one I always think is easily that is easily remade is Escape from New York that, that they haven't done. So, so, speaking though of, of your interest in films that are hard to define, what you're so what you're leading up to is you're going to tell us that you're we'll soon be seeing Todd Farmer's Arsenic and Old Lace. Is that where we're going? I played a cop in that in, in college. Oh, there you go. Totally do it again. It all comes full circle. No, I, Arsenal, I know, right? Place. Arsenal all right. Place is one of my favorite films that and and shows that and nobody seems to talk about it anymore. But I love. It. It's been two hours. We've kept you on here. Thank you so much. I hope you'll be back on. You're going to piss off our friend Mick Strawn, who's a producer. He's been on the most, and he's been one of our biggest supporters from the get go. So I think if we get you on another time or two, gentlemen, will he beat Mick's record? Because we yeah, actually yeah. don't really have that many repeat customers. Please so just, I don't know why we're charming. <laughs> well, I, I, I think <laughs> is that we really don't go back after them. We're always lucky that we got that one leg. <laughs> we wouldn't expect. We wouldn't expect. We wouldn't presume. We wouldn't presume to call her up the next day. All right. Well, Did you been- guys have Patrick? Yeah. Have you, you never listened to it? Yeah, I think I have. I, I couldn't remember. but yes, You should go back and listen to that because, for one, I his memory I, is much better than yours. Oh, it's way better than that. He's never it, had a drop of alcohol. It is a fantastic, lucid brain. By no, the way, I think I made some smart-ass comment under something he posted the other day. I don't think he found it funny and I, I need to i don't he re- didn't where, where did you do it on twitter because i don't even think he looks at twitter i think it may have been facebook but it wasn't I, it was me trying to be just and i don't think he got the, but it doesn't matter anyway no patrick is one of our favorite guests and i'll tell you patrick <clears throat> did i i really think we and patrick should have got more play out of his episode because it, it was never intended but he gave the absolute from beginning to end oral history of 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 curse that that curse, werewolf yeah. film and i there was a couple of times i somebody will be i don't know we're waiting for this director's cut and it's like well, you just go here we 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 the man edited every version of yeah. the movie there are no director's cuts it never existed i mean it, it's um uh yeah uh he he has it's interesting because to he doesn't forget anything. Mm-hmm. He remembers everything. And so I will often say things and he'll go, no, no, it was, it was this. No, all right, all right, all right. Like I, you know, I'm very, like, I remember this quote about Stephen King saying that, you know, all writers lie because it's what we do for a living. We lie for a living. And so sometimes when we're doing an interview, mm-hmm. we remember things the way that we you know, thought that yeah. they happened when they don't really happen that way. Patrick's not like that. I mean, he absolutely has ever has it all cataloged and remembers it exactly as it happened no he's a great interview and really if if you don't remember check that out he uh, specifically i just think he does a fantastic job guys don't you think he's one of our best interviews and like i said i i wish for and and some of it's selfish clearly i would like for us to be slightly more popular but every time i see it's about every six months three months you see on social media oh my god curse we never got that it's like it doesn't exist here no, and listen to bonehead <laughs> weekly it never happened Wes craven had no desire to do this movie yada yada it's all explained right here by the man who was there from beginning to end and curse is yeah. one of those movies that i really really 
had high hopes for because werewolves are one of my favorite creatures. And then did Christian he talk Reed to you guys Reed. about the about Kevin's original take? I'm I'm sure he did. I haven't listened to it. He, he it it was by accident. I didn't. I for some odd reason did not have it in my list of questions. And just naturally having a conversation, it came up, and he just explained it all. But what I mean, what was the original take? Yeah. Um, I don't remember it exactly. I have it. I have it somewhere on. Uh, but it was. Um, it was a. Um, it was like an AA meeting for. Uh, I don't remember. Basically, like an, Did he talk about that? I don't I remember that part. Maybe the son of a bitch left something out. You need to go well, I mean, pour some liquor down his throat. It wasn't something that would have been a part of his world because it was something he would have he didn't see until years later uh-huh. because Matt Stein, who worked for the Weinsteins, had reached out to us and said, did you guys ever read Kevin's original take? And we were like, no. And so he sent it to us and we read it. And we were just completely blown away. But it was it was a bunch of people at an AA meeting. And this girl is uh, there's one guy in there who something's not right about him and it's clearly it's not it's not a a it's it's like it never comes out and says but it's it's more one of those anger management kind of things and so um so anyway she's walking home she keeps looking over her shoulder and she's pretty sure this guy is following her so she's speeding up following her home from this meeting and so she gets back and she's fumbling with her keys and she's crying and then this guy and and, and and she comes around and the moon comes out behind the clouds and, and she's trying to get in the, the house and then suddenly he attacks her from behind and they're scrambling around on the floor and he's trying to rip her clothes and then suddenly she starts to change and she mm-hmm. bites him. Mm-hmm. And so he's freaked out and he runs and so she then changes into a werewolf but he's gone. Mm-hmm. And so this serial killer is now infected as a werewolf and it's just it's just a much better movie and that is not what they made so they made three movies and not that one (laughs) by the way i probably have it wrong patrick would remember it better but i've got it somewhere because they because uh stein sent it to us he probably was really good story that's much better than anything that they put the film he really talked about how wes and, and he explained how it works. He explained the mechanics of the business. He talked about Wes really wanting to do Pulse, then pulling Pulse, the remake of the, I can't, yeah. is it is it Korean? I can't remember the original horror film. I believe, yeah, it was. South uh, Korean Korea. or Japanese yeah. one. And they wanted to pull, you know, they pulled it out at the 11th hour, two or three weeks before they go into production. But hey, you can do this. And his point was, you've got people on payroll. You have people who need jobs. And if you say no, they're not going to work on for the next three months on this picture or two months. And also for Wes, you know, he's not going to get paid and they offer him even more money, you know, and financially it's hard to turn it down. He explained a lot of the business part of it. He's, he's always very thoughtful when it comes to that part of the world. Like I remember on one of the movies, I don't remember which one, but uh, I probably do. I'm just not saying. But uh, one of the stunt coordinators came to us and said, "Patrick, would you like to to be in this certain place so you can get a better shot, so you can see this better?" And Patrick was like, "No, I I don't." And the stunt coordinator was like, "Well, like couldn't understand why why you wouldn't want to be where you could see this amazing stunt take place." And Patrick was like, "If something happens to me, whole production shuts down. Everybody loses their job." 
I can't be anywhere near what you're talking about. That's why he doesn't drink. That's why he doesn't take any risks when it comes time to like, if, if, you know, if you've got a bunch of, uh, Three wheelers and they don't make three wheelers anymore, do they? No. Uh, ATVs on the set. He's not going to be out there playing in the ATVs. He's not going to take any chances that would jeopardize the movie. And I'm not like that. I'm not but like I that. Be, I don't have to be like that because I'm not the director. Well, and I we've never had that much responsibility, but James literally threw me off the back of a truck shooting a shot one time. Yeah. Well, yeah. I and mean, that's that's understandable. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. And in all fairness, the best part about that story is, as he was saying there, picking concrete out of his arm, uh, asphalt out of his arm, I got out of the truck and said, well, did you at least get the shot? Because the first time we tried to uh, film it, he yelled at me because he said, you didn't floor it hard enough. It didn't look believable. So that second time, I stumped it. Yeah, it's, it's inertia. It's physics. You know, it goes really <laughs> fast. I'm sitting here. I didn't know that I would just roll. How did it <laughs> i don't remember it, so it came good. together pretty well i mean it came together pretty well it worked it, i just for, remember holding the camera as opposed to myself and trying to keep myself yeah, we couldn't replace that camera. camera i couldn't at the time was poor i could not have replaced that camera but it, it it's a true and by the way that was a video we got paid nothing for we were asked to do it for a training thing a training yeah, introduction that's sad all right I anyway gotta, i gotta drink the rest of this so i can pee in it because we've gone so long all right. <laughs> I tried to end it 10 minutes ago and then you told me another story. No, I got this going. No, we're good. You're are you literally being because that'd be hilarious. All right. So we need to wrap up. We've been over two hours. Thank you so much. It'd be much. even better if he turned around and grabbed the, the head and started peeing through the mouth. <laughs> oh, don't think you have don't think you he has not stuck his own dick in his own I have, mouth. I have not, but I do know that there's a dick that's been in it that's just there are pictures. I bet. Dude. I, I don't blame you. <laughs> All right. Todd, we'd love to have you back on again sometime. You pick the topic. You let us know whenever you. And by the way, you need to come to Kentucky. You have family here. We can arrange. Eventually. That. Yes. Oh. But that, that may also be. I mean, that may be why he doesn't come back. I mean, if it's anything exactly like something about Well, really what I wanted to do would... is just kind of wave at his family. And then we can, he can spend the weekend in Lexington and we can go to. Why all can't I just bypass family and come to lexington because i was actually trying to be nice and i thought you may care but i'd rather you just came to lexington stay at my place we could go to the distilleries okay you know i don't drink anymore I, by I know, the way it's not, I don't, it's not happy i don't uh, all right um, we've already talked about this i was too can good we at just it. go well we can go eat you got no, food. I don't want to go to a distillery. All I'm going to want to do is drink. Well, we don't have to eat. No, I meant we can, we'll, we'll hang out. We'll go look. No, at we you. have to eat. We die. <laughs> you dumb fuck. <laughs> this has been Bonehead Wait, Weekly. Uh, I'm going to push geez. stop on the recording. Bastards. Thank you so much, Todd. Grrrr. <sighs>